After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew himself what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that, they had, that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. May this gospel come to life for us once again today. Father God, amen. We are going to look at mountains, manner, and making today. Um, but I'm actually going to start with a making question. What do you make of Jesus? What do you make of Jesus? In the uh, great philosophical Will Ferrell film, Talladega Nights, there's a scene where this uh, southern race car driver is sat praying with his family and he says, Dear baby Jesus, eight pound five ounces, in a little golden diaper, can't even speak yet, but still omnipotent. And his wife reminds him, baby Jesus grew up. And he says, I can pray to whatever God I want. And uh, it's a very, very funny scene. And uh, I wouldn't advise watching that film because it's got a few... Uh, not so okay bits in it, but you can find the clip on YouTube. It's very funny, and it probably picks up a little bit on how much we pray to the Jesus that sometimes we create. We pray sometimes to the aspects of Jesus that we most connect with, that we most resonate with, that we feel are most relevant to our lives. I have a, a good friend who I've been discipling who loves loves kind of conspiracy theories and he loves every time there is a bbc documentary about how jesus was actually an egyptian freemason or jesus was actually the first rastafarian or jesus was this or that he is there and he's texting me about the details and he comes and he loves to um he loves to read some of these quirky gospels the kind of gospel of thomas the gospel of judas iscariot that you might have heard about and he loves to read them and go oh wow this is jesus because he's trying to find a Jesus that he thinks is worthy of his worship. I'm, of course, trying to disciple him by uh, taking him back to the Gospels. I said, just put that out there right at the start. We're not kind of got some weird heretical Bible study group going on. It's interesting, actually, um, when you read those later Gospels, some of these um, kind of conspiracy theory Gospels that you might have heard people say, oh, the church has excluded them. 
when you read these Gospels, often what they do is they talk about Jesus entirely as a divine figure, almost as if he wasn't really human. He didn't really come and interact in this way, which I find quite interesting because the thing that people who are against Christianity would claim is that we have taken this Jewish prophet and turned him into a god. And actually, um, those same conspiracy theorist people who would say that about us are the people who would point to, oh, but look at all these extra books that you Christians have excluded. And actually, those extra books we've excluded because they don't fully wrestle with the fact that Jesus came as fully human as well as fully God. That actually the mystery of the incarnation is so central for us that we can't have a kind of picture of Jesus as a floating deity, as kind of Zeus or some other god walking around pretending to be human. Actually, we need the real deal. We need the eyewitness accounts we've got to get into there. But actually, in this passage, we have the people of Israel trying to make something of Jesus, trying to respond to the actual Jesus walking amongst them. And whilst he's walking amongst them, they're still trying to make him into what they want him to be. They're still trying to interact with him on those terms, just like we can get caught up in doing now. So let's firstly look at the mountain. Jesus gets up on the mountain. It's always really significant when Jesus does this. And there's loads and loads of heavy imagery about Jesus being the new Moses. Moses kind of going up the mountain to bring the law, to kind of shape the people of God, this new people, one brought to freedom, been redeemed from, from slavery in Egypt, and then Moses gives them the law and says, this is how you will now live. Now you have been, now you have been bought. Now your freedom has come to you. And there's a real richness and a resonance there. Um, I often wondered a little bit, particularly reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke and their accounts of the feeding of the 5,000. What's the point of this? What's the point of this incredible miracle? Until, actually, it was when I was studying the Bible and I was reading the book of Deuteronomy that I noticed this phrase occurring again and again and again. If you keep my law, if you remain faithful as my people, you will eat and be satisfied. You will eat and be satisfied. It occurs at six points through Deuteronomy, always at key points. And when we read the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says they ate and were satisfied. And there's this sense of Jesus coming and fulfilling the law, fulfilling what God had been doing, which is a really rich thought. Yet, there's actually a little bit more going on in the way that John tells the story. The way that Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story is they kind of use this incredible story from the life of Jesus that they experienced or um, have heard firsthand. And they use it to teach us about Jesus and the law and Moses. But actually, John wants to teach us something else. He highlights that actually it was near the time of the Passover. It says the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Well, we'll come a little bit more to that in just a second. But he adds another little detail as well. He adds the detail that these loaves of bread were barley loaves. Barley loaves. And it isn't just that John is a baker and he's very interested in what type of bread he uses. Actually, um, barley loaves are what Elijah uses. In 2 Kings chapter 4, Elijah has this incredible story where he feeds a hundred men with just 20 barley loaves. And actually, Elijah starts off and says, 
Not only will this food be enough, though you doubt, there will be leftovers. There will be leftovers. And we see Jesus at the end of this story. Not only has he spread out this food and made it enough, but there have been leftovers. And there's lots of rich, rich pictures in the Gospels about how Jesus is like the new prophet that has come. That he is stepping out. He, he, is, he is fulfilling not just the law, but the prophets, the justice of God, the God's reconciliation, God's challenge, the spirit of God coming and forming a new people, coming and doing a new thing. All of that richness is there. Up on the mountain, Jesus, he sees the crowd. That's an interesting detail that John puts in. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we read about when the disciples approach Jesus and say, oh, these people, we must feed them. We can't send them away empty-handed. But in John, he highlights that Jesus sees the crowd. Jesus is the one who raises this conversation with Philip. A really interesting detail. And then we come to the manner. We come to the manner. We come to this bread that Jesus breaks and shares out supernaturally. And I think we come into some of the richness of the Passover imagery, of this sense of actually Jesus is here showing us something really profound, that actually Jesus isn't the new Moses, he is the new manna. That's a really deep thought. He's not one come to share, to share the words of God, to kind of be the one to pray, and then God does something incredible. He has come as the manna itself. He is the one that we feast on. He is the bread of life that ends hunger, as we read about later in this chapter 6. We could have read the whole of chapter 6 today and just kind of meditated on its richness. I'm aware I often say that. But actually, Jesus goes on to explain that what he was doing was, was putting himself up as the bread of life. He is the one that satisfies. It's interesting in that, when the crowds come to him, they go after his hands. They go after what he can provide. They go after the signs. They go after the food. But Jesus isn't seeking people who just want what his hands provide. He's wanting people who seek after him, his very self. He's not looking, looking for people who are going with outstretched hands. He's looking for people who go with outstretched hearts. Jesus isn't just the new Moses, a true and better and greater Moses. He is the bread of life itself. So they've been up the mountain. Jesus has taught them about the manna. He's started to pick up some images in here of uh, communion, of the images of the bread and wine, the richness of that symbolism. This is the only time we kind of look at communion in the Gospel of John. So it's really interesting that Jesus does it in this really provocative, parabolic way. But we read um, this verse, verse 15. Perceiving that they are about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So we have this passage here where Jesus feeds all these people supernaturally. Then immediately after this story, Jesus walks on the water. And then they come to him, seeking after him again. And Jesus brings this teaching. I am the bread of life. 
unless you eat of my flesh. Oh, hang on. What happens then? They go from wanting to make him king to making their way home. What a quick turnaround that was. Jesus brings this teaching and says, actually, you're just coming looking for what I can give you. You're just coming looking for food. You're coming looking for, for outward signs. But actually, what you need is faith. You need the sort of faith that only God himself can plant within your hearts, that you would come to me and you would find satisfaction. You would find bread of life. You would find living water. Jesus says to them, are you looking for a king to come and bless you? For a king to come and rule over you and be charitable to you? Or are you coming looking for the bread of life? Are you coming looking to me for satisfaction? Are you coming looking for me to be your portion? That's the question I want to land with today. Are you satisfied? See, in our conversations about what we make Jesus, I'm aware that we can make Jesus the saviour who meets all our needs. And then in our faith, we spend our time looking for those needs coming to him in prayers for our needs, celebrating the fact that he meets our needs. Marlene and I were just talking before this service about worship and the amount of worship songs that are so much about singing, either about how much we love singing or songs that are singing about the great things that God has done for me. How many songs are there of satisfaction? Jesus, you are my portion. Jesus, you are enough. I was reading a, an article about Love Island, and the article was titled, um, I'm happier, but I could be happier if. And it said that this show, Love Island, which I have to confess I've not seen, I don't know if that's because I'm not cool or because uh, I'm, I'm a holy man, definitely the first, actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure which one of those it is, that actually Love Island, um, as, as a show, is a symptom of our culture, where people... Look, are looking around constantly. I'm with this person. I'm happy. But I could be happier. But there could be something more. But I could be somewhere else. I've got lots of friends who, who are in the dating game, even the Christian dating game, where they can be on a date with someone they've met online through a dating website. And while their date is in the toilet, they're back online checking out who else is out there. Because we live in an age of constantly looking around. We live in an age of dissatisfaction. I'm happy, but maybe I could be happier. I've got this, but maybe I could have more. Maybe I could be something different. I've also had some really hard conversations with people I've been discipling over the last couple of weeks. Where they say, I want Jesus, but I also want to be able to do this. I want Jesus. Yeah, yeah, sure, I want Jesus. I, I, I love Jesus so much. I love coming to church. I love the belonging. I love the freedom. I love the companionship. But I just don't want to have to give up that. I don't want to have to give up that thing that I enjoy. I want Jesus, but I still want to be able to sleep around. I want Jesus, but I still want my own freedom in my relationships, what I do over here. I want Jesus, but I want to be able to have a lion on a Sunday. And they can feel like really little things sometimes. Really little compromises that we make. 
I think they can be symptoms of this wider culture. I'm happy, but I could be happier. And actually, I think something in this passage which challenges that we would come by force to Jesus to make him the sort of king we want to be. Jesus, could you be the sort of saviour who sorts me out with life and wealth and health and happily ever after? And would you bless me so much? Would I be so rich and good-looking and such a great conversationalist that it would speak of your goodness and everyone would come to faith because I'm such a pleasure to be around? Any of us want that calling? But actually, Jesus, when we come and we try and make him that sort of king, the sort of king that benefits us, the sort of king that is a king on our terms, is the king that we want him to be, he withdraws again to the mountain that we would seek after him with our hearts. That when we come to that Jesus in love with the things that he provides us, in love with the blessings that he gives us, and who knows, there are thousands every day when we just open our eyes and see the blessings that Jesus gives us. He withdraws again to the mountain by himself that we would seek after him. That we would seek after him. After Jesus has given some of these strong teachings at the end of chapter 6, it says this, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? I love, the, I love the confidence of Jesus there. I love the assuredness of his calling and who he is as a son of God. That he can turn to his last remaining followers. Remember, there was a crowd of 5,000 minutes ago, right? He can turn to the last 12 with him and say, do you want to go as well? This would be a good opportunity. You can slip off right now. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else would we go to find the words of eternal life, friends? But to Jesus, the bread of life. Not just our provision, but our very portion himself. Let's worship God. And sing a song together. And as we sing this song, I just want to encourage you just to, just to give your all to Jesus again. To say, Jesus, I don't want the you that I've made you to be. Jesus, I just don't want the blessings that you give me. I want you, your very self. I want you to be my portion again. Let's worship God. Father God, we love you. We love to, to worship you, and we love what you showed us in your son, Jesus, that you are the only one in whom we can find hope, rest, security, belonging. Jesus, may we learn to trust in you, learn to give ourselves wholly to you again. Where we have said in our lives, I want you, but I also want this. Jesus, we lay that down again. Where else would we go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? We come to you now. Amen.